Welcome to Ask Peggy About Your Finances, because prosperity is so much more than money. Brought to you by writer, speaker, and certified financial planner, Peggy Doviak. Thank you to Voices of Oklahoma, KVOY 104.5 FM, for the opportunity to share my ideas. Thank you also to Sports Talk 1400 and Norman for production and studio assistance. Hello and welcome to the Ask Peggy About Your Finances show. My name is Peggy Doviak and I am a certified financial planner practitioner. This is a show for you to help you understand your money. We look at why the stock market goes up and down. We look at financial legislation that can impact your bottom line. In the Plan Your Prosperity segment, we look at different financial planning topics in detail to help you understand how they really work. And then finally, in the last section, the Ask Peggy segment, that's your opportunity to ask me a question. So if you'd like to send me a question, go to www.askpeggy.com, that's A-S-K-P-E-G-G-Y, and you'll see a place where you can submit a question in writing. Then I'll reach out to you, we'll get some more details, anything I would need to really give a good answer, and then I'll provide an answer on the air that's educational for the people who are listening to it. So let's get started with the Bulls and Bears market and economic update. This is for the week ending in July 5th, 2019. And here's what's kind of unique about this week. So basically, portfolio managers report their performance every quarter. So at the end of the calendar quarter, someone who is a professional portfolio manager has to say how well they did. So it's not uncommon for the last couple of weeks of a quarter to be really great because everybody has to make their numbers. And then if there's some pressures on the market, you know, you can't control the market for very long, but sometimes you can stave something off for a couple of days. So then those pressures that had been on the market for the last couple of weeks of the quarter will go ahead and manifest themselves the first week of the new quarter because that portfolio manager knows that he or she has three months to make all the numbers work. And so there's just a little bit of a push. Now, I'm not saying that the market can be manipulated, but I am saying that you can push off a little bit of market reaction for just a few days, and it's not uncommon for that to happen. So the first week of July very likely was going to be not a great week because first weeks of the quarter often aren't. However, for the week ending July 5th, the market did great. The Dow Jones Industrial Average went up 1.49%. The S&P 500 went up about 2.25%. And the NASDAQ went up just a little bit less than 2.5%. Gold went down 0.82%. And oil went down 1.05%. So the stock market did great. Gold went down a little. And oil went down a little. 
The 10-year Treasury yield is currently at 2.037 percent, and ever since there was kind of that shaking out of how the yields were working and the fact that there, you know, whether or not there was going to be that quarter-point cut, it moves a little bit. But we haven't had a dramatic move in the Treasury yield in a couple of weeks. It was a quiet trading week, and I really think that that may be one reason why the market reacted as much as it did. Because there's another phenomenon in the market, which is the less activity you have, the wider the swing you'll typically get. So volume stabilizes out a market. It won't go up as much. It won't go down as much. And remember, last week we had the Fourth of July. And the markets actually closed the third at noon Eastern time, and then they were closed on the fourth. And then many, many people were on vacation last week. So you really had a five-day weekend, starting with Wednesday and going through yesterday Sunday. So that light volume probably has something to do with the very impressive increase of the week as well. It'll be interesting to see this week if things kind of stabilize out, settle down a little bit,、um, because really I would expect it. It doesn't mean anything. It's just really unusual that the market would go up that much the first week of a quarter. But it's good news because anytime the market's going up, it's always good news. You know, it's always good news that the market went up. But I heard an article last week, and I had to go do some research to check on it. And unfortunately, there isn't as much stock market participation among the general public as even I thought that there was. What I heard on television, on the news, and I never could find the source for it again when I was looking it up, was that there are actually fewer companies today. Offering 401k plans than there had been about 20 years ago. I don't want to go very far into that data because, like I said, I don't have the specifics. But I did find a、um, it was a Pew Charitable Trust who was doing some research on retirement plans, and it ends up that 35 percent of the private sector workers who are over age 22. Don't work for a company that offers a retirement plan at all, and that forty-one、um, percent of millennials don't have access to an employer-sponsored plan. Thirty-five percent of Gen Xers and thirty percent of baby boomers don't have one either. So basically, the younger the person is, the less likely they are to work with a job that has a retirement plan. That makes quite a bit of sense, actually. Although the idea that millennials are actually mid twenties, which means that they're not saying, "Do you want fries with that?" They're probably in jobs that are at the beginning of their career, and I call them, you know, real sort of stable, maybe retire from here jobs. Forty-one percent of those companies aren't offering retirement plans, and then Gen X, which is my age, I'm fifty-three. And 35% of the companies that people my age work for aren't offering it either, and then even baby boomers, 30% no plans. That is really, really scary. So, what do you do if you're in a plan or in a company that doesn't offer retirement plan? Because I go through this market and economic update, and it's great. And if you've got money in the stock market, it's great. And if you've got money in a company retirement plan and the market goes up, that's great. 
But what do you do if you don't have that plan? I would really recommend that you open an individual retirement account and that you open a Roth. And I'm going to talk more about this in the Ask Peggy segment, but I think this is a real crisis. So see, we're going to tease to a future segment in the show this time. I think this is very, very important. And if you don't have a retirement plan, if you're not in the stock market, because so much of what you have to do in your retirement really depends on you, it's important that you go ahead and create a vehicle for that so you can participate in this bulls and bears market report. And then when you do that, your retirement's going to go easier. Thank you to Voices of Oklahoma, KVOY 104.5 FM, for the opportunity to share my ideas. Thank you also to Sports Talk 1400 in Norman for production and studio assistance. Welcome back to the legislative update of the Ask Peggy About Your Finances show. And I have a really cool legislative update to talk to you about in a little bit of detail today, and that is the new rule where if you are an advisor in Massachusetts, you have to give your client a one-page standalone table for fees for services. And if you have a website, that fee table has to be on your website as well. So why am I so excited about this? Well, you know, if you listen to the show regularly, you know how upset I get when the fiduciary rule takes a beating. I think that if you can't get there via the fiduciary rule, a table where clients actually see what they're paying is probably a really good second option because this one-page report has to have the name of the firm, the logo, the document title, and a little bit of a preamble with the date with it, okay? So just kind of a little boilerplate language. But then advisors are required to list the types of fees that they charge, hourly fixed, commission, subscriptions, assets under management is what this summary said. So just anything you can imagine how an advisor might get fee, get paid, including commissions. And the amount, amount and frequency of each and the service that they provide to get the fee. Anything charged by a third party, like a money management firm, if the advisor doesn't make their own management decisions, or robo-advisor fees, if the advisor has outsourced that, also has to be included. This is so amazingly cool. It's very cool because there's been so much murkiness about how much people are paying. So this requires that the amount of a commission that's received be disclosed to the client. You know, assets under management fee is a little bit more transparent where if, you know, maybe maybe the advisor doesn't tell you what the percentage is, but the AUM fee is relatively straightforward. But the commission structure is actually buried into how the product itself is priced. So let's say you have a um, mutual fund, okay, just A, B, C, D, E mutual fund, because I'm not picking on anyone. They all do this. And it depends upon how the advisor is paid for that fund, what the price of that fund is, 
And the same fund can have five, six, sometimes more different prices associated with it. So let's say that the fund's basis ticker is ABCDE. Well, maybe there's an ABCDX, an ABCDQ, an ABCDS, all slightly different tickers. And what you know when you see that is you've got to dig and look under the hood to see how the advisor is being paid for that specific fund. So when we talk about mutual funds, we don't usually talk about them on their tickers. We talk about them as their names, like XYZ Company, U.S. Large Cap Fund, you know, or we give it some crazy name that nobody knows what it means, like the Up up the River Fund or the Safe Retirement Fund or, you know, one of these just odd terms where we don't really know what the fund consists of. But each of those funds has different share classes, and the different share classes have different fees, and they sell for different prices. So if you have a no-load version of a fund, it has a net asset value. Let's make the math super easy here of $1. Maybe there's a 5% commission that's available on this fund. So there's another share class where the net asset value of that is 95 cents. Well, where did it, I'm sorry, $1.05. I went the wrong way on that, $1.05. Why does the second fund cost five cents more? Because there's a commission. But when you talk about it, you don't see it. And I'd actually been in the business a while before I realized how unbelievably complicated the commission structure is. Add to that some broker statements. Don't give the ticker symbol. They just give the name of the fund. And if you, or they'll put like class I or um, different little clues on the end of it, but they don't give you the, t- they don't give you the ticker. The only way you can find out how much of a commission is actually on the fund itself is if you have the ticker symbol or live in Massachusetts where now the advisors have to tell you all of that in black and white language. That's why this is so important. This is super complicated. It's really hard to understand. It's even hard for me to understand. So a consumer doesn't have a prayer. Massachusetts is saying, you know what, fine. If you're going to charge something, you can charge it within reason, but you have to disclose it. And I've always said that if you can't win the fiduciary fight, win the disclosure fight. Because if somebody is willing to pay someone a 10% commission on a variable annuity, and they know they're paying it, then to a certain extent, that's how a free market operates. I'm guessing the people, when they see how much commission is being paid, aren't going to want that product. But that's just me making an interjection here. And I think this is an awesome thing. I hope it takes off across the country. You know, Massachusetts leads the way on a lot of this. And I'm really, really glad that they do it. Thank you to Voices of Oklahoma, KVOY 104.5 FM, for the opportunity to share my ideas. Thank you also to Sports Talk 1400 in Norman for production and studio assistance. Welcome back to the Plan Your Prosperity segment of the Ask Peggy About Your Finances show. And when I came into the studio this morning to tape, I was talking to my producer and we were saying how hard it was to come back to work on Monday after basically a five-day 4th of July weekend. So I hope you guys had a fabulous 4th last week. 
I hope you got to go watch some fireworks. We went down to the beach and we watched the fireworks going off over the ocean. And really, I love everything about the 4th of July. I like the patriotic music. I like the red, white, and blue. I love the fireworks. But when I'm looking at the fireworks, one of the things that crossed my mind when I was looking for something cool to talk about on the show is how similar some kinds of investments are to fireworks. So think about what happens. You're, you're sitting there and it's dark, right? And you're waiting for the show to start. And then suddenly you hear a little noise and there's a huge, bright, colorful explosion in the sky. And you watch it and it's there and everybody oohs and ahs. And then suddenly it's gone. It's gone just as fast as it was there, and you've got a little puff of smoke afterwards, and that's really just about the only clue that there was ever a firework. Well, think about some of the kinds of investments that you've heard of that ended up not really turning out very well. You know, there's been a whole lot of cryptocurrency enthusiasm over the recent past, that cryptocurrency basically came, it wasn't really out of nowhere, but it got formalized. And for most of us, cryptocurrency was a brand new thing when we first heard about it. And, oh, wow, look, this is new. This is cool. Look, it's bright and it's colorful. And it'll do all sorts of different things. And it basically sort of came out of nowhere. And yes, I realize that it's still there, and I'll talk about that in just a second. Let me finish my metaphor first. But then, poof, it really blew up about a year and a half ago. Now, it's still around, and this isn't really a segment on cryptocurrency, but something to think about with cryptocurrency. I would never tell you whether you should invest in anything or not, because that depends on your risk tolerance. But structurally, it's a currency that doesn't have a stable price. And when a currency doesn't have a stable price, it becomes very hard to do large legal transactions with because the buyer never really knows what they're going to pay and the seller really knows, never knows how much the transaction is going to be worth afterwards. You know, if you're buying a house for, I'm in Oklahoma, a couple hundred thousand dollars and your currency can actually fluctuate by 25%, that is totally not cool if the value of your currency drops to $150,000 right after you've sold your house. So the very thing that makes cryptocurrency cool, I think, is probably its fatal flaw. But I digress. It comes out of nowhere. It explodes. Boom. You know, we had the same thing back in 2000 with the internet stocks. And, oh, wow, look, it's a new economy. This is an economy that's based off of our technological advances, not silly things like earnings. And so, boom, there it is on the horizon. And then, poof, there it went. Because as it ends up, earnings really do matter. Now, the internet came back as well, and cryptocurrency may, it may figure out how it's going to solve some of its fundamental issues. 
just because it's gone doesn't mean it might not come back in a form. But the problem is when it blows up, it takes all your money with it. And so you don't want to do a lot of fireworks investing. And it's really hard not to do it because it's so cool and everybody's doing it and everyone's excited about it. And wow, it's going to change the world. And then it disappears. So instead, I want you to consider following some other trading strategies. Okay, the first problem is when you are trying to invest in a trend, you're probably late to the party. Now, you may be a professional portfolio manager, or you may be a total market junkie that keeps up with everything, but I'm telling you that by the time it makes the news, where most people have heard of it, it's already shot up so much in price that you're going to be buying it at a high level. Chasing trends is risky because you don't get in at the beginning of them. Now, <laughs> getting at the beginning of a trend is awfully risky too because for everything that goes, you know, there's two dozen that don't. So I'm not advocating getting in before there's no track history. I'm just saying when something is hot and new and exciting, by the time you see it on the evening news, the market is already all over it and you need to be careful. Be really cautious with, in, with initial public offerings, IPOs. Because a lot of times, once the IPO comes out, the stock drops in price. In fact, especially when you're in kind of a bubbly situation, sometimes the most expensive day of the stock is the day of the IPO. So again, getting in on an initial public offering may be difficult for you to do if you're just an average retail investor. And it might not be something you even want to do. But the problem is once it IPOs, you're going to have that initial shoot up in price that you are probably not going to be able to participate in. So then you wind up buying at a high. Better is go ahead, let the IPO do its thing, let it calm down, come back to earth a little bit, and you can purchase it at that time if it matches your risk tolerance and it fits into your portfolio. But don't be in a rush to buy the next big thing. In fact, you really want to be careful with single stocks in any situation because single stocks have all different kinds of risks that when you own a fund or a lot of stocks in one wrapper, you can kind of blunt the impact of a crisis. So that if one company has something that goes really south, the fund itself will drop, but not like owning the single stock. The best example of that I can remember in my own experience was Martha Stewart Omnimedia because the business structure was great and the books were good. If you were looking at the financials, everything looked good. But what we didn't know was that there was an insider trading charge pending and the stock for years and years and years after that never recovered. Enron, where there were two sets of books. You know, as a general person, even me, I don't have access to things like that. So you have to be really careful. You're much better off in a fund with the diversification. 
Finally, if you buy something that was kind of trendy and kind of hot and it's not doing well at all, yes, buy and hold works with funds generally. But with a single stock, don't feel like, well, I can't sell it until it gets back to the price I paid for it because I'm not going to lose money. Sometimes that strategy works, sometimes it doesn't. You need to talk to a certified financial planner practitioner, let them help you structure it. You need to probably get someone who can go in and do research. Just because it's lost money does not mean you should continue to hold it because it'll go back up because sometimes it does and sometimes it doesn't. Thank you to Voices of Oklahoma, KVOY 104.5 FM, for the opportunity to share my ideas. Thank you also to Sports Talk 1400 in Norman for production and studio assistance. Welcome back to the Ask Peggy segment of the Ask Peggy About Your Finances show. And today I want to come back to the last piece of my first segment is what do you do if your company doesn't offer a retirement plan? So for most of you, that would be something like a 401k plan or a 403b plan if you're an educator or work in the not-for-profit segment. So what do you do if that company plan doesn't exist? You really do need to take action. Because although I am not a doom and gloom Social Security person, I will say that Social Security was never designed to be your retirement income. And you are likely going to need more money than that to be okay during retirement. So you need to create a savings plan. It's probably easiest if you don't have a retirement plan, you can open a traditional deductible IRA. You can fund that to $6,000 a year if you're under 50, $7,000 a year if you're 50 or older. If you don't want to take the deduction today and you'd rather fund it in after-tax dollars, you can fund a Roth IRA for the same amount, $6,000 or seven if you're over 50. Now, if you have a spouse who has a retirement plan, you need to take a couple of options. Number one, you should take as much advantage of that plan as you guys can do. So if you've got a spouse with a 401k with a match and you don't have a retirement plan at all with your work, you need to fund that retirement plan vehicle as much as you can. Certainly take advantage of the match. Try to put in more money than that. In most 401ks, the contributions you make are tax deductible later, or a lot of times there's a Roth option if you want to pay the tax today and then basically have income tax-free distributions if you follow all of the rules. So really take advantage of that spouse's retirement plan. Now, if the spouse does have a retirement plan, you are limited in the amount of money you make to deduct your own IRA. It's $193,000 a year or less. There's a phase out. So if you're making a relatively high salary, before you deduct your IRA, if your spouse has a retirement plan, check your income levels. A Roth IRA has the same phase-out schedule as the spousal IRA. Again, $193,000. If it looks like you're going to make good money this year, then check all of that. 
So the other option is to just open a plain investment account. Now there isn't any tax benefit to this, but the advantage is you're funding your retirement. And if you opt for a after-tax account, so not a retirement account, you might consider putting items in that account that you're probably going to hold for a very long time, so you don't trigger capital gains when you sell it, and maybe something that doesn't pay a lot of interest or dividends, so you don't have current income. So, for example, if you were going to own a stock fund and a bond fund, you might want to own the large cap stock fund in your taxable account and the bond fund in your IRA because then you don't have to pay taxes on those dividends that are being paid. Of course, that's ultimately up to you and your certified financial planner practitioner and your CPA to make sure everything is good. The very most important thing to know is if you don't have a retirement plan at work, you need to make your own plan. Have a great week. I'll see you next time. Bye. Thank you to Voices of Oklahoma, KVOY 104.5 FM, for the opportunity to share my ideas. Thank you also to Sports Talk 1400 in Norman for production and studio assistance. You may submit personal finance questions to the Ask Peggy Facebook page and learn more at PeggyDoviak.com. And remember, prosperity is so much more than money.